the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How about we keep our own money? Yeah, billions for Ukraine, billions for Israel, billions for Palestine. That's what they're arguing about in Washington these days. Oh, remember Ron Paul, that crazy guy who insisted on running for president? Maybe we should have listened to him a long time ago. We here today talk about being having solidarity with Israel. And others get up and, and try in their best way to defend the Palestinians and, and the Arabs. So it's sort of a contest. Should we be pro-Israel or pro-Arab or anti-Israel or anti-Arab? And how do we how are we seen in doing this? And it's pretty important. But I think there's a third option to this that we so often forget about. Why, why can't we be pro-American? What is in the best interest of the United States? We haven't even heard that yet. I believe that it's in the best interest of the United States not to get into a fight. A fight that we don't have the wisdom to figure out. Now, I would like to have neutrality. That's been the tradition for America at least a century ago. To be friends with everybody, trade with everybody, and to be neutral. Unless somebody declares war against us. But not, not to demand that we pick sides. Now, I have a proposal and a suggestion, which I think fits the American tradition, that we should treat both sides equally, but in a different way. Today, we treat both sides equally by giving both sides money and telling them what to do. Not a million dollars here or there, not a hundred million here or there, but tens of billions of dollars over decades, always trying to buy peace. And my argument is that it generally doesn't work, that there are unintended consequences. These things backfire. They come back to haunt us. So I think we should start off by defunding, defunding both sides. I, I'm just not for giving all this money because every time there are civilians killed on the Israeli side or civilian killed on the Palestinian side, you can be assured that either our money was used directly or indirectly to do that killing. So we are, in a way, an accomplice on all this because we fund both sides. The policy of foreign non-intervention, where the United States is not the bully and doesn't come in and tell everybody exactly what to do and put these demands on, if we didn't do that, yes, we could, we could have some moral authority to come condemn violence, but should we not condemn violence equally? Could it be true that only innocent civilians have died on one side and not the other? I don't believe that to be true. I believe that it happens on both sides, and on both sides, they use our money to do this. I urge a no vote on this resolution. Too bad it didn't go through, huh? I guess it did go through. He said the same thing about Ukraine a long time ago. Anyway, when we come back, a good argument for impeaching the guy responsible for protecting the country. And in our second half hour, another good argument for kicking the U.N. out of the country. Stick around.
Well, the last we checked, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas still had a job. He hadn't been uh, impeached yet. That process could be starting as soon as tomorrow. And there seems to be some pushback building on the idea, including from some Republicans, I guess. Steve Bradbury is a distinguished fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He says Mayorkas has to go. He joins us now. Steve, thanks for coming on. John, thanks for having me. So um, in your piece, you say the case for impeachment is compelling and clear. Why is that? Well, it's laid out in two very damning articles of impeachment that have been approved by the House Homeland Security Committee. And I think everyone's aware of the disaster at our southwestern border, the immigration and humanitarian crisis that the country faces. And it's really all a product of very deliberate decisions made and actions taken by the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. And these are actions that involve basically nullifying the laws of the United States, of refusing to enforce them as uh, required by Congress, of taking actions, in fact, to contravene and undermine those laws. So this ranges from allowing... uh, inadmissible aliens to come in en masse into the country through provisions called parole authorities that are supposed to be done on a very narrow case-by-case emergency basis, but are being done for vast numbers, whole populations of of immigrants, and then uh, releasing into the country mass numbers of inadmissible aliens who are required by law to be detained pending the outcome of asylum claims. Uh, The secretary has also created whole new, what he calls lawful pathways for entry that are not authorized by Congress that allow aliens in foreign countries far distant from the U.S. to make an appointment using an app on an iPhone to show up at our border and get escorted into the country, uh, completely circumventing all of the lawful procedures for refugee applications. And and then, of course, we have the porous border in between ports of entry where you just see mass floods of illegal aliens coming in. And we don't know how many have gotten away and evaded the Border Patrol. Uh, there are unknown numbers of inadmissibles who have entered the country who aren't accounted for, who may include terrorists. They may include Chinese nationals who are agents of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the, the, the situation is unprecedented. It is so extreme. And I think it's gotten the attention uh, of the American people. There's only so much uh, that, that uh, we can do to respond. You know, the state of Texas has tried to bring the Biden administration to court. And the Supreme Court said that they didn't have standing to bring that case. And in dissent, from that decision, Justice Alito pointed out, well, maybe that means the only tools available to challenge the administration's actions at the border are for Congress to cut the budget or bring impeachment proceedings against the secretary. And uh, that's exactly what the House has done. Uh, The first article details all the violations of law and refusals to enforce the law. And the second article focuses on statements uh, that the article of impeachment says were false and misleading statements made to Congress and to the American people about the nature of the crisis. 
So uh, the issues are pretty extreme. And um, the piece I wrote this weekend, I think, responds to some of the points that have been made on the other side by the Wall Street Journal editorial page, by some other editorial writers, um, pointing out the unusual and extraordinary nature of an impeachment of a cabinet official. Of course, the Constitution provides for that. All civil officers of the government are subject to impeachment. And um, it also addresses some of the other concerns that have been raised. Yeah, so um, what what are some of the other uh, what are some of the reasons being given for not impeaching him? Well, one is, hey, isn't he just doing the president's bidding? Isn't he just doing what the president is telling him to do? And I think the obvious point there is, look, the president of the United States and his senior team in the White House, they can't do this on their own. They can't open the borders and violate the immigration laws directly. They can only do it if they have a Homeland Security secretary who's willing to violate the law and abuse his powers uh, and violate his oath of office. And um, so we're really focusing here on the responsible agent, the one who's got the statutory authority, who has been confirmed by the Senate and is charged with with the duty of upholding the immigration laws, he's the one who's carrying out these actions in violation of the law. He's the one uh, that makes a sense uh, to, to focus on. Of course, if you focus on the Secretary of Homeland Security, that elevates the issue and really focuses it in a very powerful and intense way, which which um, which you can argue is very is very appropriate. The other another point that has been made is well. If the House impeaches Mayorkas this time, won't that just open the door in the future for the new normal to become that the House will impeach the president's cabinet members, just go down the line and start impeaching them left and right? And I think that's that's a red herring argument, because the point here is that these actions are so extreme. The violations of law are so clear and the act. Yet the conduct is so intolerable and beyond the pale that this shouldn't create some precedent uh, that will make it a new norm uh, in the future. But, but of course, you know, the current House can't bind any future House in terms of what they want to do or not do in the future. So, you know, you can always make that argument, but it doesn't seem to answer answer the case that's right before us now. Well, could you, or, or not you, but could someone, I guess, uh, or has anyone uh, tried to make the case that he's not really refusing to follow laws, he's just not interpreting interpreting them either correctly or the way you think or other yeah. people think they should be uh, interpreted? Yeah, the argument has been made that, oh, isn't this just a policy disagreement uh, or dispute about how to interpret the law, and, you know, doesn't he have discretion uh, to, you know, um, enforce the law a little bit differently one way or another. And they also point to the fact that in the past, previous secretaries of Homeland Security have exercised some discretion in these areas. But the, but the point is, that discretion, that scope of discretion has never been this broad. No, no one has ever used 
and interpreted these laws to allow for this kind of mass migration, vast populations from multiple countries coming in. And in fact, these new systems like this app being used as a way to reach out and actually create a channel of entry for uh, inadmissible migrants who are well outside the U.S., Of course, you also remember that the Trump administration had the return to Mexico policy in place. They had an agreement with Mexico that uh, any migrant trying to get across the border from a third country who was claiming asylum would have to go back to Mexico and wait in Mexico while the asylum claim was uh, resolved. And there's no reason this administration couldn't put that arrangement back in place. But On his first day in office, Secretary Mayorkas announced he was going to phase that out. He was going to end return to Mexico. So the current disaster we're facing is is one that was manufactured by Secretary Mayorkas and by this administration. And the numbers, John, are just unbelievably astounding. Uh, You know, in December, 370,000 illegals were encountered at the southern border And that's 30 times previous uh, averages for 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 a given month. And the the current day, you know, per day, there's more than 10 or 12,000. It's just it's just unbelievable. The numbers, it's incomprehensible. And of course, they're being shipped by bus and plane all over the United States. So really, truly, every congressional district in the United States is now a border district because of the influx of mass numbers of uh, inadmissible aliens and the local infrastructure, local governments are being strained beyond the breaking point, beyond their budgets. And that's even hitting places like New York City and Chicago, as we've seen. It's uh, an unprecedented crisis, uh, intolerable, and something has to give. And uh, it just seems rather quite appropriate for the House to take this up as a matter of impeachment. We're talking to Steve Bradbury, distinguished distinguished fellow at the Heritage Foundation. So, Steve, could you uh, could you make a case for impeaching Biden for not firing him? Well, of course you could. You always could. Ultimately, every civil officer of the executive branch is a subordinate of the president, answers to the president, and is subject to the supervision and management of the president. And there's no reason to think that Mayorkas is not pursuing the agenda that President Biden has approved. Um, Although you have to ask yourself whether the president is actually fully up to speed on everything that's happening and the ins and outs of why it's happening, or whether he's really actually relying on Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas and his team at DHS to make this happen. Uh, so it's a little bit unclear, you know, w- which direction the, 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 the instructions are flowing. Nevertheless, you're right. However, the House is not limited by the Constitution just to impeaching the president. And if you're going to talk about impeaching a president, uh, as you know, with President Biden, there are multiple issues going on right now that are being investigated in the House by different committees. It's very hard if you're going to take on the question of impeaching the president to keep the focus just on the immigration disaster and not incorporate multiple other issues that are also percolating. 
Uh, and if what you want to do is focus the attention of the public and the country on this dire circumstance, this horrible disaster and humanitarian crisis involving the border and the failure to enforce the immigration laws, then it would seem that the, the, the better candidate for that focus would be an impeachment case against the Secretary of Homeland Security. Now, um, the, does well, I'm going to play you a soundbite here because you, what you just said about whether it's Joe Biden's um, just his his policy that Mayorkas is just following. Here's Joe Biden about ten years ago. Not only are Muslim communities, but African communities, Asian communities, Hispanic communities, and and the wave still continues. It's not going to stop nor should we want it to stop. As a matter of fact, uh, um, it's one of the things I think we can be most proud of. So uh, so there's a second thing in that black box, an unrelenting stream of immigration, nonstop, nonstop. Folks like me who were Caucasian of European descent for the first time in 2017 will be in an absolute minority in the United States of America. Absolute minority. Fewer than 50% of the people in America from then and on will be white European stock. That's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a source of our strength. I don't know if you've uh, seen that video, Steve, but um, guess who's sitting right next to him when he says that? Alejandro no. Mayorkas. And he's, he's not... <laughs> He's not necessarily nodding in agreement, but he's he's got kind of a look on his face that he seems pretty pleased with what Joe's saying there. Well, listen, the it, the president, or he wasn't president then, Joe Biden, was, yeah. of course, was correct that we are, and proudly we are, a nation of immigrants. You, me, probably all of us are ants are the descendants of immigrants. Yeah, many of us are anyway. Most of us. And that is a point of pride. It it is uh, the great thing about our country that we welcome people from all cultures, all backgrounds, all groups to come into the United States and to assimilate into the melting pot that is America. But what we're talking about there is lawful immigration according to the rules and laws that Congress has enacted. And uh, what we have now is an unconstrained, unrestrained mass flow and it didn't exist before joe biden took office it it was the creation of the policy changes the pronouncements the actions that he and his secretary of homeland security have taken and uh he says that he has no choice because the laws are broken and uh, he can't stop it it's an emergency situation that's completely untrue He could stop it tomorrow by reverting to some of the policies that were in place before the current administration came into office. It's completely controllable. Uh, That doesn't mean we can't make improvements in the immigration laws. And the House has passed a bill, H.R. 2, that would make very, uh, uh, very good changes to the immigration laws that would solve a lot of these issues. But you can't force the executive branch to implement them in a way that's fully consistent with the requirements of the law if they're not willing to do that. One one tool Congress 
very effective tool Congress has in its arse fight back against the unlawful execution of the law is impeachment. And uh, I, I think that the articles of impeachment raise the issues in a very focused way um, for the American public to see. And I think they're, as I understand, they will be taken up uh, this week on the floor of, of the House. So we'll, uh, we'll wait to see how that goes. But um, these are important actions well, on the on the part of the House of Representatives. Well, Steve, I'm out of town a time, but you um, you laid out a pretty good case there. <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Okay, John. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye. Okay, you too. That's uh, Steve Bradbury, distinguished fellow at the Heritage Foundation. It all made sense to me. I'll be right back. Well, we found out last week um, that a United Nations agency uh, took part in the October 7th massacre in Israel, which was just one more reason to get out of the U.N. and kick them out of the country. But Fox Digital has another good reason in a report today. Daniel Turner, founder and executive director of Power the Future, had something to do with that story coming out. He says it's a bombshell, and he joins us now. Daniel, thanks for coming on, as usual. John, it's always great to be on your program. Thanks for having me. So what does the report say? Yeah, this is, you know, an ongoing work that we do of using the Freedom of Information Act to find out just what these folks are doing, right? What is John Kerry's office doing? Where is all this money going? And after doing a number of these Freedom of Information Act reports and getting thousands of pages of documents, you begin to connect the dots. And the dots connect that This United Nations Foundation is writing millions of dollars of grants to put climate change activists in Democrat governor's offices. And they choose the staffer. They pay their salary. But these people are embedded in Democrat governor's offices. The governor of Michigan, Governor Whitmer, the governor of New Mexico, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. So they have this climate staffer who who has all the power of the governor's office but is not accountable to the people of their state, right? They were not picked by members of the state. They're not paid for by members of the state. So who the hell's in charge of climate policy in in Michigan? Uh, Someone at the United Nations is. I think the people of Michigan would be curious to know that, that I almost said Boutros, Boutros, golly, John, but he hasn't been, he hasn't been at the United Nations in about 30 years. I don't even know the name of the guy at the at the United Nations. I was a big Boutrous Boutrous. I was a big Boutrous Boutrous <laughs> fan fan. So, yeah, I miss him. Uh, we all do. Look at yeah. the crop of people we have now. And I'm glad you tied it to the Gaza attacks because this is just further evidence how the U.N. is a corrupt body with a very specific agenda, and, and they are going to implement it come hell or high water. Yes. Oh, so where is the money, the actual money coming from, and, and who is getting it? I, I, I think in the story, the United Nations Foundation, uh, Bill Gates gave $55 yeah. million to the United Nations Foundation. So does that mean that um, by, uh, maybe, um, maybe not directly, but someone in the governor of Michigan's office is being paid by Bill Gates? Absolutely. The, the, the United Nations Foundation is a, is a nonprofit that implements the United Nations work uh, with, with private money, um, just the way 
you know, Catholic Charities is a nonprofit that implements the, the mission of the Catholic Church with private money. Um, so this is a foundation that gets money from the likes of Bill Gates and other leftists like that. But their goal is to implement the United Nations agenda. And part of their agenda is driving climate change. So the best way to do it, put staffers in governor's offices. But again, the important thing to take away is those staffers have the power of the governor, but they're not accountable to the legislature. They're not accountable to the people. They're not chosen by anyone in Michigan in this case. They're not, you know, if, if you have a staffer in the governor's office in, in Pennsylvania and in, in Harrisburg, you have a right to know what this person does. Who, who pointed them? What is their salary? What is their mandate? Because you're a member of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But what if the governor was to say, actually, John, I'm not going to tell you that because Bill Gates is paying his salary. Well, well holy cow, that's that's kind of odd. Well, you had to file uh, for this information. Um, uh, how hard are they trying to keep it quiet? Oh, incredibly hard. I mean, this is, this is uh, almost a year's worth of trying to get documents and emails turned over uh, having to fight in the courts to get these documents, getting data dumps of tens of thousands of pages that you have to comb through and you have to connect the dots. They do want to advertise this, and the governors of those states, and now it's our job to try to make a ruckus in those states. The governors of those states don't want the people to know that this is happening, right? This, this is not something that they advertise. You would think the governor of New Mexico would put out a press release Hey, everybody, we want you to know I just got $2 million from the Bill Gates United Nations Foundation. And with that money, we're going to hire some staff and they're going to push climate change policies. But they don't tell the people, right? They don't announce this. They do this all very quietly and they hope they don't get caught. Now, I don't know if they have broken any laws. There may not be a law that says you can't hire extra government people with outside funding to do government work. But I think we can all agree, if I went to Governor Whitmer in Michigan and said, my organization, Power the Future, would love to pay for a whole bunch of people to push oil and gas policies, and it's not going to cost the people of Michigan a dime, I don't think she would let me. No, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think she would welcome that. No, I don't think she'd like you. Um, so um, there are employees working for several states uh, who are actually employed – by climate fanatics around the world. Now, these uh, staffers being paid, Bill Gates is an American, but are there non-Americans whose money would, would be paying for these staffers? And where have you, do you have any idea who some of these staffers are? Uh, that's part of, this, part of the challenge we have is identifying who those folks are, and we have gotten some of the names and some of their salaries, and they are making very good money. Um, in terms of the outside funding, that's the other challenge, is they get to hide behind our, our uh, nonprofit laws, which means you don't have to disclose your donors. That's meant to protect donors from, from coming under attack, right? That's meant to protect freedom of speech. But it's not meant to hide the fact that you're getting overseas donors. And I don't know who's funding the United Nations organization, the United Nations Foundation, excuse me, and they're under, in theory, no obligation to tell me. But when they start to influence domestic policy, especially at the state level, 
right? Uh, since when does Michigan have a relationship with the United Nations? They're not staffing people. Maybe they are staffing people in Washington, D.C. But to have this level of granularity that, that an international globalist body is choosing staff at the state level should raise people's concern. What other things are they doing at the state level? And if you wonder again why your eggs are so expensive and gas is still expensive and your utility bills, this is all the, the, the green crap that has been happening since Joe Biden was elected. And it's all done under the table. It's all done in secret. And they're all hoping people don't find out. We're talking to Daniel Turner. He's the founder and executive director of Power of the Future. You can find this story at uh, foxnews.com. Um, so um, can you give me an example, Daniel, of uh, let's say, I don't know if you can pick a state or just as a, in general, uh, what a staffer working for Governor Whitmer uh, in Michigan might do on a day-to-day basis uh, as he's being paid by the United Nations? Well, we saw one staffer in, in the governor of New Mexico's office who's, who was making, I think it was 197000 a year. And the governor of New Mexico has huge EV mandates um, with, with very con- like, like Joe Biden has. Uh, 50% of all cars have to be EVs by 2030, 65% by 2035, et cetera, et cetera. Um, maybe this is the person who's pushing those policies. Now, we know those policies are very unpopular, but maybe this is where the policies are coming from. They have huge mandates for wind and solar uh, and renew uh, and renewable uh, portfolios maybe this is where that's coming from um the governor of new mexico shut down a a active and uh, reliable coal plant in the navajo territory maybe this is where this mandate is coming from so you know what do they do all day i would love to know the answer <laughs> to that they're going to tell us we don't have to tell us because it's a privately funded person so this privately funded person is working um, in opposition to what many taxpayers, even in a, in a liberal state like Michigan, what many taxpayers don't want to be, uh, don't want to, they don't agree with. They don't want it to be done. <laughs> they don't. Not at all. Not at all. And they're not paid for with the money of your state. As much as it bothers me when I used to live in New York, that it was blue state and it had blue policies. But at least I could draw the line to say, hey, look, the majority of New Yorkers, as much as it breaks my heart, they voted for this guy. And this guy is implementing his policy with his staff. But you can't even say that in this case. These are not people. This is not the governor implementing her agenda. This is the government taking staffers and, and money from the United Nations. And who the hell appointed that? Again, where did this person come from? Did the governor choose him? No. The United Nations Foundation chose those staffers. And there are, based based on our report, it seems to be many of them. You know, we've we've identified, I think, 15 states. Now, we have some concrete details on some states, and we're trying to get more information. But there are dozens of these people embedded at the state level with the full authority of the governor's office, they are not accountable to the governor. They're not accountable to the state legislature. They're not accountable to the people of the state. They're accountable to the United Nations Foundation. And that has to scare the crap out of us. That's not the way our government is supposed to work. And these are people, these are governors in these various states who, who want to do things like uh, end the use of fossil fuels, as you pointed out, and, and uh, want to put windmills up everywhere. 
and they could be being advised and helped by people that are uh, employed by the United Nations. It's sick. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's just pure, absolute insanity. Um, and, and, you know, these green policies, they, they always seem to be full of confusion and obfuscation. They're always hiding what their goal are. Look at the, the United the, uh, the excuse me, the Inflation Reduction Act that we keep talking about how it's this huge investment in climate change. But they didn't call it that. They called it the Inflation Reduction Act, right? Mm-hmm. They're always hiding what their agenda is. And when you say they're going to ban gas stoves, they laugh at you. Karine jean no one's trying to ban your gas stove until the gas stove ban comes out. And then they say, well, this is only for your good, right? They're always lying. They're always hiding. They're always confusing you um, because their agenda is unpopular and it's very, very detrimental to your freedom and your property. That's why they have to hide. And this is what you're described, what's being described in that story uh, at foxnews.com. It's infiltration, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're being infiltrated. Absolutely. Completely infiltrated. And it's just absolute insanity that this is not the way our government is supposed to go. You cannot come in, no matter how noble you think your agenda is, you cannot come in with your big paycheck or your big big, uh, checkbook and say, I am going to staff the governor's office. Right. Our government is not supposed to be for sale. Now, we all know it's for sale. Right. We know that lobbyists make the bills and yeah. cam and politicians. But but it's not supposed to be this overt that I can just come in and say, hey, if I write you a check, can I put five of my buddies on your staff to push my <laughs> agenda? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you think Governor Whitmer would respond to the NRA hiring a few staff members? for? <laughs> exactly. You know, and even even simpler, how do you think Governor Shapiro and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania would respond to Governor Murphy of New Jersey hiring his staffers. And you'd be like, well, wait a second. Are you going to be accountable to, to, to Pennsylvania or to New Jersey? Right? You, this is not how your government is supposed to work, but that is how it works when it comes to climate. There is no appetite for the climate agenda. And, and Americans, after three years of this, have seen how it has made life very, very expensive. And now we're always in panic mode about the electric grid shutting down. This is all the result of three years of the war on American energy. Are we supposed to have more of this now by having the United Nations staff our governor's offices? This is all that secretive nonsense that makes people hate their government, mistrust their government, and it's all done under this guise of climate change. It's the, it's the worst of the worst. Hey, we're talking to Daniel Turner. He's the uh, founder and executive uh, director of Power of the Future. i got to get to another subject here while I still have a couple of minutes. Um, tell me what's happening on Martha's Vineyard with electric, uh, with electric vehicle chargers. <laughs> this is that hysterical. The Martha's Vineyard. So if, if you have an EV uh, tax credit, if you are a low-income zone, you can qualify for EV stations, and you can write it off on your taxes if you get an EV charging station in your house. And, and the government can get free grants because it's a low-income community. So the Biden administration just declared Martha's Vineyard low-income. Martha's Vineyard is one of the most exclusive enclaves in America, the private little island yeah. off, of, off of Boston. Yeah. They declared it low-income just so they could get the tax credits. Oh, and, and so 
uh, <laughs> if you can do Martha's Vineyard, you can do anywhere. Just make everybody <laughs> low income. But if but if you're designated a low uh, low income, that I would guess that that also qualifies you for other stupid government programs. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I know there are some lovely and very wealthy enclaves of Pittsburgh. Yeah. And it, your your audience would laugh right now if we said, well, you know what, Squirrel Hill really is yeah. an impoverished area, and we're going to give them EV tax credits. That's how egregious this is. The, it, it, the further proof that the Green Movement is also just a bunch of lies and grift. It is welfare for the elite. And, and the, the people of Martha's Vineyard want EVs. They don't feel like paying the full price. So they're like, yeah, let's just say that we're all poor, and then we get them free from the government. And it seems like uh, fewer and fewer people are willing to pay that price. Yeah, and and that's been the problem with EVs in the last couple of months. The 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 fad has has slowed down a little bit. It hasn't disappeared. There's always going to be a class of people who want an EV, and if you want an EV, go right ahead and buy one. But this nonsense that the government and the taxpayers have to subsidize it because you don't feel like paying full price is ridiculous and that's where we are now millionaires are getting subsidies to buy and to have evs because that's just how biden has declared he wants the numbers higher he wants to say more people have charging stations so we just declare the wealthiest enclaves in america poor and but trust us right we have your best interest at heart so if someone is riding home in rush hour traffic right now and they see an ev next to them they can feel confident that they helped pay for it Absolutely. Uh, you get $7,500 tax rebate uh, for, for every EV that you buy. And that's, it's, it's, you know what, John, it's the same as the student loan forgiveness that yeah. the, the, the people who went to Brown and UPenn and graduated with a feminist poetry degree, and now they want their, their uh, student loans paid. It's the same nonsense. You know, people who want these, these uh, um rich things, whether it's fancy degrees, whether it's fancy EVs, they just want the poor people to pay for it. Hey, I'm a big fan of feminist poetry. Don't don't be tough on that. I'm, I'm, I'm out of time, uh, Daniel, and it's always good to have you on. Great story at foxnews.com. Uh, Thanks. Thanks, John. Okay, that's Daniel Turner. I'll be right back. Maybe you've heard that uh, Tucker Carlson is in Russia, and there's talk that he's going to interview Vladimir Putin, who might be given a chance to give his side of the story for an American audience about what's happening uh, with Russia and Ukraine. So I came across this um, uh, over the weekend. Now, I don't know who, I don't remember George F. Kennan, but he's described here as a great sage of Cold War politics and history. Uh, and called the architect of America's successful containment of the Soviet Union. So he helped bring about the fall of the Soviet Union. He died 17 years ago. So um, Thomas Friedman, a uh, liberal columnist for the New York Times, um, wrote a piece recently where he dug up an interview he had done with this uh, Kennan guy way back in 1998. And I want to read you what this Kennan guy said 25 year, 26 years ago. Friedman asked him what he thought about the expansion of NATO to include as members the recently ex-communist nations of Central and Eastern Europe getting very closer to the borders of Russia. Here's what this guy, Kennan, said, quote, 
I think it is the beginning of a new Cold War. I think the Russians will gradually react quite adversely, and it will affect their policies. I think this is a tragic mistake. There was no reason for this whatsoever. No one was threatening anybody else. This expansion would make the founding fathers of this country turn over in their graves. We have signed up to protect the whole series of countries, even though we have neither the resources nor the intention to do so in any serious way. NATO expansion was simply a lighthearted action by a Senate that has no real interest in foreign affairs. What bothers me is how superficial and ill-informed the Russian, the whole Senate debate was. I was particularly bothered by the references to Russia as a country dying to attack Western Europe. Now, here is what he says is that Putin was told that there would be no expansion of NATO eastward toward Russia. And what he's saying is that you, you better not push it because Putin is going to be upset and he will be justifiably upset because it will mean you guys lied to him. And he thinks he's protecting his country from aggression because they're, they're lining up on his borders. I'm not saying that that's uh, right. I'm no uh, expert on geopolitics, but that sure sounds like Putin has at least an argument to be made. And um, maybe um, he's right. How about that? I don't know. This guy, Kennan, is supposed to be a, an expert on that, and that's what he said. Talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.